0: It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today our guest is a pianist and composer. His name is Faulkner Evans. We will be talking to Faulkner this afternoon about his new release called Invisible Words. It is a very poignant and very stunningly beautiful recording of music that many of our listeners will enjoy. Also, we hope to explore the backstory and the reason for this particular solo release from Faulkner Evans. And Faulkner, thank you very much for joining us on All That's Jazz. No, thank you, Alan. It's my pleasure. I know you've been in the business for quite some time and uh, you've had a variety within your playbook, if you will. Everything from different genres of music to focusing in later years with jazz music. It's a pleasure to speak with you and have this opportunity to explore this new recording called Invisible Words. Now, I don't know how comfortable you are with this, but obviously uh, the whole basis for this particular release is due to the untimely death of your wife, Linda. Tell me about titling it Invisible Words. What is the story behind that choice?
1: Well, Alan, my wife, Linda, was an artist, and we had a um, art studio for her that was just a couple of blocks from here. And when she passed away, I was responsible for closing down that studio. She'd had that studio for a long, long time and she didn't throw anything away. And so like a lot of artists, she had clippings and little bits of art and sayings all around the place. And so I found this one clip and it was in her handwriting saying that music is the invisible word made visible by sound and I liked that I thought that was really poignant Mm -hmm. and um, so I thought about that and when I came to the conclusion last August that I was going to do this record and it became something that it wasn't just something I wanted to do it was something that I had to do and so when I decided to do the record I decided it will be called Invisible Words and that's the way that came about. There was uh, a lot of, when I was closing out the studio, I could only go there for about 90 minutes every day because it was just too painful for me. Uh, So I went every day for 90 minutes. I finally got it closed out and everything. And so I, this little clip of her handwriting, I put that in my pocket and it's still uh, taped to the cupboard in the kitchen. And uh, that's the way that came about.
0: So after she passed away, which I believe was uh, in 2020, not that long ago, I understand that you really had a difficult time even facing a keyboard or sitting down at a piano. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I think that when we think about music and we think about joy and we think about happiness and none of those things joy or happiness were happening in my life and uh, I um, would sit down at the piano for four or five minutes and I that I just didn't feel like playing and I realized that uh, Alan that this was something that was natural what I was going through was something that a lot of people have gone through whether it's you're playing the piano or your you know your work or whatever your work is it's uh, something that you know I had no inspiration to do so I finally um, was able to approach the piano. I had, um, Linda's brother had come in from uh, Auburn, Massachusetts and picked me up. This is at the height of COVID before vaccines. And I, uh, I had to get out of New York City and I had to get out of the apartment. He came and picked me up and uh, I spent a week with him in his beautiful home in Auburn, Massachusetts. And uh, he had a really nice backyard with a pool, and I found it really nice to be away. But at that time, still, everything was so raw. And um, he had told me that uh, he had a piano downstairs. It wasn't (laughs) a great piano or anything like that. And uh, I was spending most of the time just out by the pool, but this one day it was raining. And I just thought that I'm going to go downstairs, and I'm going to see what I can do. And in I'd say three hours, I had written the first three tunes on the record. And I was really happy about that. I was really pleased about it. And I told myself right then that this is something I not only wanna do, but now I have to do this. It started freeing me up. It started to be a way to persevere in this. You know, this music was born out of loss but it was also born out of perseverance too. So after I went to the piano there and uh, you know, I immediately talked to Michael Marciano, the engineer on the record, he's engineered all my records. I said, this is something I wanna do. And I know that we're in the height of COVID. And he said that you know, this is a good time to do something like that. He said, I'll be in the booth, you'll be in the studio and, uh, and we will be safe and we'll get this done. So that's the way that came about. And, uh, you know, we talked about doing it around Christmas time, but that was going to be, because of the holidays, it was going to be very difficult. And so I decided to do it on January 11th, which was Linda's birthday.
0: So you chose to do this strictly as a solo release. Was it, I I guess, your intent to, to make it that way, or you really didn't want to bring in others into your catharsis?
1: Both. Both. You know, I don't see how I could have had somebody alongside me to share what I was going through. And um, so I decided to make it a a solo piano record. And um, this is what I I felt very strongly about this. I've never done a solo piano record. And the idea was to get the seven piece group together and do another uh, follow up on that. But I wanted this to be, this was just about being solo and just trying to um, paint a picture or to take a snapshot through my lens of who Linda was. This is something that it's really, it's been a, a big part of my healing. Uh, it's been a really big thing for me. And, um, you know, I don't recommend anybody going through what I went through, but um, this has been a big help for me and I'm, I'm proud I'm proud that I was able to do this.
0: I'm sure that it was a difficult process at first to emote, to put things down on paper, maybe compose certain elements of how you wanted this to be reflected through your memories and thoughts about your wife, and at any time... Did you feel like while you started out, as you said, you composed the first three tunes and got that under your belt, but what spurred you on to continue to finish up the release?
1: You know, I was on a mission. Uh, This has been, for me, the last 15 months have been a journey, and this is part of that journey. And um, I got back here to New York City, and I was excited. I was excited that uh, this was going to happen. At that time, I didn't know when it was going to happen. So I started writing more of the music for the record. And, you know, my idea was that um, I wanted the music to be pretty simple. And some of this music is pretty simple. I had never played so many dominant seven chords in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, in folk music, they have that. And in rock and roll, a lot, you know, in jazz, we tend to want to throw in the ninth and the 11th and stuff like that. And um, I sort of rediscovered a beauty in the simplicity of um, these sort of chord changes. And I wanted to keep it simple. And so, yeah, that's what I did. And I, you know, I just felt that um, the whole time I didn't want to overthink Thing I think sometimes we do that. So I was really pleased that I was able to get this done. And um, again, I'll, I'll go back to it. I, you know, I'm proud of myself for doing this. Uh, I'm still in a um, certain state. It's not as bad as it was, but it's still, uh, it's still difficult for me. So this has been part of the healing process.
0: Well, the music is stunningly beautiful. It, it truly is. Uh, and, and that's not just to groom or stroke you. It, it's just because it truly is. And, and you can tell that you emoted and you put all your feelings into this particular uh, release.
1: I, I did. And um, like a lot of musicians, Alan, we've been out of work for a long time. And sometimes we use our work. As sort of a rehearsal i had until may 9th i mean uh, march 9th of 2020 a solo piano gig that was five days a week and so i could go in and play whatever i wanted to play and this could be sort of a rehearsal for this so i didn't have that so i was here at the piano at the apartment and trying to work on it and everything and uh, i got i took a, an uber out to queens where we recorded the record and i started to get nervous the first tune on the record, Invisible Words, was the first take, the first tune that we did. Michael Marciano asked me, he said, you want to come in and listen to this? And I said, sure. And um, I listened to it. And I thought, you know what? You're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, I was happy about that. And then we continued, and um, I was just really pleased with it.
0: Well, you, in a way, you're very gifted uh, in a sense that, unlike many of the rest of us that don't compose music or play music, you have a way to let go or emote. Uh, And sometimes uh, for all of us that have experienced a passing away of a loved one, it's hard to put into words. And so I think that makes the title of this release even more poignant in that it's called Invisible Words.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a a real emotional experience, but what was really emotional about it was that I had all the rough tracks. And so, of course, I was listening to them and um, to see what we wanted to use. And I told Michael Marciano that, you know, we want to mix here soon. And I went out to his place in Long Island and we mixed. And it was a really tedious thing because he had taken um, two microphones and set them 10 feet from the piano and then two microphones and set them two feet from the piano. And then they dropped two small microphones almost into the soundboard. And so what we had to do when we mixed, we had to figure out how much of the 10 foot, how much of the two foot and how much of the really close mics we want. And so finally we mixed it and I bought it back and I got back about ten thirty at night. And I thought I'm not going to listen to this, but I listened to it the next morning. And I was, um, I have to say, I was floored with the sound of it and that I was able to even do this with what I've been through. But, you know, and this has been something for all of us. You know, we've been in this lockdown and uh, we've been through the height of COVID. So I, you know, it has been an emotional time and it was emotional listening to this. And I still sometimes get emotional when I listen to it, but I'm pleased with it. I really am.
0: Well, when you were composing this and putting everything together, were each of the tracks reflective of a certain emotion or were they of certain times shared with Linda?
1: There were certain times. They were actually both. There were things like the second tune, Your Next Ladybug, which was a sort of funny story. Linda was a voracious reader. We were always at the library just a block away from here she'd always be returning books and checking books out. And I remember that um, we're standing there in line, and uh, Linda had this penchant for wearing red all the time, and she had red hair. And uh, this woman behind the desk just says, uh, you're next, ladybug. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were laughing about it. I thought it was so funny. And um, so I had had a dinner with uh, matt wilson uh and uh we were talking about that and i said uh, you know maybe i should call that something like ladybug blues or something like that and then i thought no no call it your next ladybug You know, there's certain things that ring true that um, were about this, you know, and um, Brightest Light, the third tune, was something that, uh, you know, I call Linda that all the time. I said, you're, you're my bright light, and uh, she was. So there's different, you know, things about uh, the different tunes. Uh, you know, there's the tune "Breathing Altered Air" that um, is an interesting title because, um, I, for the first time in my life, for the last I'd say 13 months, I'm seeing a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and it's been great for me. We had been talking about the different stages of grief, and um, I had told her that, you know, one of the when something like this happens. You're in such shock that you're almost numb. It's really three or four months later when the pain really kicks in. So uh, she said to me, she said, you know, at that time you're breathing altered air. And I thought that's a song title. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's little bits here and there that uh, you know gave me the impetus to name the tunes after you know certain experiences and things like that.
0: Let me talk to you about a couple of the other tracks. Uh, one sure. uh, being uh, Lucia's Happy Heart.
1: Well, that Lucia was uh, Lucia. Linda's middle name. Yeah, and she always said that she wished that that was her first name. She was Italian. Her real name was Linda Lucia de Tora that's definitely Italian. <laughs> and, and I wrote that tune in 2006, actually, and I recorded it on a trio record called Arc with uh, Belden Bullock on bass and Matt Wilson on drums. And so when um, I decided to do this uh, solo record, I thought, you know, that would be a really great Thing to do, and just sort of lay it out, and don't play any time, and just do it rubato, and and see where it goes. So that's how that came about.
0: And then the uh, final track in speaking about the release is the Hope Card. Is that something that is reflective of what you've now reached, and that's a stage of hope?
1: You know, it's funny, Alan, because Linda was uh, very interested in Buddhism. And um, I wish I had more information about this, but I've been reading up on this, and there's some kind of—it's not a game or something, but it's a— it's a thing that Buddhists go through, and they have a hope card, and they tack it up on the wall, and everybody looks at it. And I wish I had more information on it, but I'll tell you this. I thought it sounded great, just the, uh-huh. the sound of it, and I think Linda would have liked that. Uh, Linda was very, very interested in that, and um, we're uh, members. I mean, I'm now a member at this place, the Rubin Museum of Art, which is in Chelsea here, which is a Buddhist uh, museum. And, uh, so that, you know, that's, that's how that came about. You know, that was a tune that I, when I wrote it, I kind of thought, you know, this tune could be played with a group, too. And um, I plan on maybe doing that sometime on the next record. We'll see.
0: So at this point, with the release of the album, is there any intention of performing this live, or is this going to be just your private moment?
1: You know, I performed it live two weeks ago at a club called Mesro. Here that's run by the people who do Smalls. It's right over here, just a block away. And um, I did two shows uh, on the, what was that, on July 18th. And I was touched. The first show was sold out. Uh, the second show was about a half to two thirds. And it was a really emotional night for me. It really was. And it made me happy. It made me happy to be performing, to be able to do this, music for a crowd. And that was on the uh, 18th of July. And when I was leaving my therapist uh, office on the 12th, on the Monday before the Sunday, she looked at me and she said, don't underestimate what a big deal this is for you. And I told her, I said, um, you know, I want things to go well, but I need things to go well. She said, I look forward to hearing all about it next week. So I did that two weeks ago and I'm hoping to do it again. Uh, New York, as you've probably heard, it has been opening up quite a bit. There's still places that aren't open yet. The Village Vanguard is still closed, but I think they're gonna be opening up right after Labor Day. So I'm hoping, you know, things might open up a little bit, but I have to just say this thing on July 18th at Mesro was a really, it was another step in my healing and uh, it felt great to be in front of a crowd and you know, some people in the crowd knew what had happened. Some people didn't. And so I had to talk about it a little bit and, but it wasn't a somber night. I didn't want it to be a somber night. And Linda wouldn't, she would not have wanted that either. It was a real success and it was a real, you know, I've been playing for a long time. This is what I've done all my life. And, uh, but it was a real breakthrough for me. And um, Tanya, my therapist, when I saw her the Monday afterwards she just said i'm I'm really proud of you and uh, so it worked out really great I'm, I'm really happy the way it came out
0: so maybe when you're performing this in front of people I I would think that rather than characterizing this as a celebration of life it is I think a celebration of a life and that life being Linda's it is
1: it, that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm, uh, you know, ironically enough, a week from this Sunday, I'm, I have a restaurant rented that was one of our favorite restaurants, and we knew everybody there, and uh, there's going to be a party for 28 of us there, and we're going to be celebrating her life, a life.
0: You know, in listening to the music now a couple of times from top to bottom, uh, in a way, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, that you know the backstory to each piece uh, at the same time, uh, I, I think once I learned more about it and and started looking at it and and appreciating your reflections on this, then it made even more sense. But the music is, to me, a standalone. It's that beautiful. Thank you.
1: yeah, that, I wanted to you know that's something that I was conscious of. I, I you know, um, this was a tightrope for me and uh i didn't want this to be a somber record there are times i you know i know that the like the tune uh, made visible is pretty slow and some people said it's sad but you know in sadness there can be beauty also and uh, Uh i appreciate your sentiments about
0: that i really do I, i i honestly feel that there is joy in the music
1: i do too I do too. I have had people who have said that, uh, "Oh, it's a sad record." And <laughs> you take that on a lot of different ways, you know. But um, I think there's a lot of joy in it, also, you know. So, as artists and everything, you know, whether we're playing something that's is perceived as being sad or is perceived as being happy, you know, all we can do every day is our best and. Um, you know, like I said, this was a little bit of a tightrope. I didn't want people to say, "Oh, this is sad. This is not sad," and all that. But I think that uh, there is joy in in this music. I know there is, and um, and this was reflected by the uh, response that I got two weeks ago at the concert. I had so many compliments, and uh, it was um, it was a great evening, and a, what a what a great feeling.
0: You know, and I think that's uh, the the. The beautiful takeaway for you is to not only go through the emotional process that you did, but now you took it to another level, even like your therapist said, keep doing this uh, and it's only going to get better and better. Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, there's, it's, uh, it's a process, like I said. And you, um, I'm not where I was last summer at this time and uh, I'm in a better place. It's still very surreal because uh, Linda was somebody who was a, um, she was incredibly intelligent. She had a, the capacity for a lot of happiness. It's still, like I said, Alan, it's still fairly surreal, but I'm trying to um, make my way. And I'm making my way the best way I can. And uh, that is going towards um, the music. And uh, I've got a lot of great friends right here in the neighborhood, and uh, they've been incredibly supportive. So this thing I'm doing a week from Sunday at this restaurant, I know it's going to be very emotional and uh, but it's not going to be somber. And that's mm-hmm. the way I wanted this concert to be. And that's the way I wanted this record to be, too. And I would like to think that um, that's the way things turned out.
0: Well, it certainly did. And I, I appreciate your courage and also uh, your opportunity for yourself of being able to now put words into the invisible words to tell this story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's something that I don't mind talking about it. You know, this is part of life. But I had never been through anything remotely like this before. So I'm just doing my best and uh, that's all I can do. But I've found that the more I run towards the music, the better I am. And uh, I'm lucky to have all the friends that I have. You know, I've had a lot of uh, other friends who have lost husbands and stuff like that recently, and they tend to shut down. And they tend to cocoon, and uh, I didn't do that, and I think I've been better off for it.
0: Well, indeed you have, and I, I'm sure that people will find this to be a, as I said, stunningly beautiful recording. And once you learn even a little more of the story, it's it's just absolutely amazing. So, if you Thank don't you. mind, Faulkner, could we take uh, a little uh, time here and talk about some of your other music so people of can of course have sure. a better appreciation of who and what you are. Now, you've been yeah. at this for quite some time. All my life. Indeed. But you didn't always start out with jazz, or did you? You know, it's funny.
1: I, When I was really young and I heard the Beatles for the first time, I thought, this is what I want to do. And uh, I started off playing the drums. And uh, I put a group together. We were all like, 12 13 years old and we would play Beatles tunes and you know people the British invasion people and whatever was on the radio and we would practice and we actually got pretty good and because we were so young we were this novice group and we were getting work <laughs> playing around Tulsa Oklahoma and it was it was crazy my mom would load up the her valiant station wagon with all the equipment, and we play these private parties and stuff like that. And that was rock and roll. Then when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to switch to piano. I wanted to be on the other side of the music. And so I switched, and uh, I pretty much taught myself at that time. I was still a rock and roller. I was like that through high school. And then when I, out of high school, I put together a group. And we were a rock and roll group, and we'd throw these sort of little swedo jazz tunes in every once in a while, like "Fancy Free" by Grant Green and things like that. We loved it, and it became a thing where we where we were doing ninety percent rock and ten percent jazz. We flipped it finally, and. Um, I got some other people to play in the group uh, who were really good musicians. And um, that's when I sort of became a jazz musician. And then um, in 1975, uh, I was fortunate enough. My grandfather sent me up here to New York uh, to take piano lessons. I did this for two weeks every summer, 75, 76, and 77. So I'd study with this guy named Dan Hurley out in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Then we'd, for the most part, come in and we'd go to the Village Vanguard and all these different places, and it was just magical. And then, um, you know, I kept the group together there in Tulsa, and, um, and then in 1980, I had an offer. Uh, this was really an out of the blue to join the group, Asleep at the Wheel which was a Western swing group out of Austin, Texas. And I thought, God, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But I did it. And it was a great experience. You know, we were on the road 10 and a half months a year, and I really got to see the world. And it was beautiful. It was, you know, I was much younger than I <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think I could have done it now, you know. So I was with them for four years and we would play up here two or three times a year, usually at this place called The Bottom Line that's no longer there across from Washington Square Park. And I just remember the first time I came up here and I called my mom and I said, you know, someday I'm gonna do this. And so when I left to sleep at the wheel, I went back to Tulsa and I was playing some solo piano gigs and the writing was on the wall. And I thought, you know, if you're really serious about being a jazz musician, you know where you have to go. And so I, you know, I made the move here, and um, I've been here as of yesterday. I've been here 36 years. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like New York, and uh, I still love it. I'm still kind of in awe of it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's great. When I moved up here, I started studying with you know some really great musicians that I grew up listening to, and that was a great experience too. So uh, I'm super glad that I did it.
0: I I think added to your diversity and uh, I'm sure some of your approach to music in general uh, because you you saw how a large ensemble works, then you were involved with uh, other things and progressing back to the jazz side. You had trio work and then uh, it seems like the progression is that the groups got larger and larger in jazz uh, until uh, I believe last year, 2020. Where you did a recording called Marbles. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm really proud of that record. the rhythm section that I've used for a long time with Matt Wilson and Belden Bullock and um, Ron Horton, who I've played, we've worked together a lot. And so I wanted to put this together. And, you know, I'd spoken to Ted Nash several times about he's a good friend and everything. And um, I've always wanted to work with Michael Blake and Steve Nelson. And so I, uh, you know, I started working on the music for that. And it's, it was really something that um, because of, the lineup uh we had to do everything piecemeal we couldn't it was hard to get everybody together for a rehearsal we were able to do that in the end but uh you know we decided that we were going to get together as much as we can in one form or another and uh, i'm really pleased with that record you know steve nelson came in and there's a lot of vibes players out there and steve Steve is unique he's Mm -hmm. a He's a unique individual, and he's a unique player. And so I think that the three tunes that he played on on that record really uh, are really great tunes. You know, I think the music reaches real heights when he's there. And so the idea now is to, um, before the end of the year, record another record with that same group and um, get that out next year. I'm already working on that.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that because I was wondering, uh, until... The issue of Linda's passing came in. That's the direction where you were and where you were going. And I was going to ask you, uh, since you put out this release, Marbles, with this large ensemble, would you go back to it, which you've alluded to? And uh, I'm glad to hear you haven't lost your marbles. Ah, (laughs) when we decided to call it marbles,
1: everybody had a joke about that. You know, Uh, but uh, no, I... Uh, you know I that's a record I'm really proud of and I'm really proud of the two or three tunes that I've already written for the next one and um I'm excited to go back in the studio. I, um, I really believe that, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. But my hope is that at the end of the year, the seven of us can get back in the studio and get this done. And I've talked to everybody in the group about that and everybody's on board. And, uh, and we will get this done uh, one way or the other. And I'm excited about it. Um, and I thought that was that record really turned out nicely.
0: Well, Faulkner, I-, I could talk to you for a considerably longer period of time, but in the interest of bringing this to a close, so how can our listeners learn more about you?
1: You know, from my website, which needs to be updated, that's what I would. That, that that's the best
0: way. Uh, just go to com. Are you on Twitter or uh, other social media?
1: I'm not. Uh, I don't have anything against that, and I'm thinking about and I've been thinking about this for a couple of years, about joining Facebook, uh, and I think I'm going to do that. I'm not a big social media person, but I do understand the reality of life today.
0: Well, life today has been a joy for me, and I appreciate your sharing your story with me and our listeners here on All That's Jazz.
1: Thank you, Alan. The pleasure's been mine, believe me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz
0: with Faulkner Evans.
1: We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song.
0: And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz.
1: If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.